Blog Talk Radio. Warning, you have entered the realm of the gods. So give us your mind and your full attention. So you say you deal with esoteric information? I never heard of such. Well, you're in for a treat. So you claim to be a god? Damn right I'm a god. The maker, the owner, cream of the planet Earth, father of civilization, god of the universe. Wow, I didn't know that. 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 So tune in or lose, friend. All strategies apply mathematically. The information he drop is real powerful. So get your notepad, it's more than an hour full. Watch your jaw, the crew with watch us talk. Indigenous to the land, wherever we stand. First world order, we bring it at home in the first quarter. Invisible lines don't apply, we cross borders. Silly rabbit, knowledge for gods. No matter where you resign, Mars, Temple of Mars. So don't fret or proceed with hesitation. Just tune in to Blog Talk to get the information. Peace. I'm here. I'm home. I'm sorry that I call you. 
Okay, and I'm home. Mom? Hey, how I tell you, Washington East, it's Brother Fahim Richard Ill, filling in for Dr. Asuraline Nukapaki El Bay for the night. I'll be your host for the night. I'm sorry for the late delay. Uh, I got confused uh, with certain stations to be on, so I uh, definitely apologize to everyone for that. And I hope everyone is all right with you and yours and your family. So uh, please take uh, accept my apology, and I'm going to get on with the show. Uh, the show for the night is about Moors, church, and religion, and nationality. Okay? That would be the topic for the night. I'm going to start from this book called The Astrological Foundation of the Christ Myth, Book 4, by Brother Malik H. Jabbar. I uh, hope that some of you may have this book. All four volumes that you need, really, because it's, it's definitely essential to the part of your library and for every uh, conscious person, especially every conscious boy, to learn and study about. Okay. I'm going to start from the introduction part. It says here, to the purpose and focus of this book, this is the fourth and final book of this of the series of bo- of the books entitled The Astrological Foundation of the Christ Myth. Book one, two, and three have served to lay the foundation for the extensive interpretations that are offered in this volume. Our search is for truth throughout the three previously published volumes of this four-part series of books. We have focused on proving that religion, as we know it, is actually the symbolic rendering of natural phenomena. Okay, I'm going to say this again. We have focused on proving that religion, as we know it, is actually the symbolic rendering of natural phenomena. There are those that may not agree, but, you know, let me, you know, but, you know, always have people that disagree with you and have people that disagree with me. I don't have a problem with that. You know, uh, the more you disagree agree with me, the more, the more I learn, you know. So, okay, that is to say that the mythical stones embodied within religious texts and truth actually describe cosmic interactions recorded over the millennia, parentheses it says here, by the priesthood, whereas the celestial entities, planets, stars, sun, moon, cycles, constellations are labeled 
as personified deities, and the courses and cycles of, of these heavenly objects are likened to the intrigues, wars, conflicts, marriages, etc. of human types, royal and common. We have traced the origin of religious philosophy from its root as astronomy evolved into myth and finally into modern religion. We have shown that ancient primordial man in has never-ending struggle to survive amidst the sometimes devastating forces of nature, found an incumbent to study and record the cycles of the reasons, the planets, sun, moon, and stars, and their associations with the earthly environment. This was necessary so as to take a cue from the cosmic and other cycles as indicators of regular cyclical environmental changes. And by observing and heeding the warnings and forecasts indicated by various cosmic cycles, humanity was more or less able to sidestep and or adjust to the vicissitudes of the natural environment. Humanity, survival is and have always depended on the, our ability to cope with and profit from our environment. Mankind's earliest supplication to the de deities were efforts toward gaining supernatural assistance to withstand the sometimes hostile forces of nature and also solicit solicit solicitations for divine and in harnessing the, seeing, the seeming fickle forces of Mother Earth. I'm going to start by here. Well, what he is saying about religion is, and most of us don't really understand, it's all based on cosmological forces. It's based on cosmology, what we call astrology, astronomy, and so forth. It's based off of the sun, moon, and stars. You think that the sun, Haru, or they say it Horus in some Greek terms, uh, it is... Uh, based on all it's, the Jesus solar mythical figure is based on that, believe it or not. And some of us believe that Jesus was a prophet, you know. Uh, well, uh, yes, then again, no, you know. Because there you're talking about uh, Yahshua, you know. Yeshua, Yeshua would have been Joseph, you know, Jesus, the son of Joseph, you know, uh, it, 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 uh, believing in that way, it would sound more more realistic, you know, I, I can say that much for it, you know, or, you know, some of us believe that maybe the man didn't exist at all. Like I said, you do the math on that and decide it for yourselves. Which one you want to believe, or which one not to believe? You know, dealing with uh, the Mary figure, which is Isis, or in the comedic sense, Aset. You know, she's dealing with the moon or the lunar, which is a lunar mythical figure, and you have uh, the stars, which is dealing with the stellar, or the stellar people, or the star people. Or you can say dealing with the son or the child, or the father, mother, son, 
or in, in Christian terms or in the gospel terms, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, which they knocked the woman out. Those of you that study this, that are studious among the comedic teachings and also of um, uh, ancient science of um, all Moorish uh, foremothers and forefathers know that it's all matriarchal, not patriarchal. You have some brothers within, even within the Moorish Divine National Movement would disagree with me what I just said. They would definitely disagree with me wholeheartedly, you know, because they're still dealing with this patriarchal um, mindset. And some of them you just can't tell any different, no matter how much sense it makes. Okay, let me go on here. It says here, the evolution of religion. In order to properly evaluate and trace the evolution of religion and its impact on our modern religious philosophy, we must go back, but we must go far back in time to the earliest anthropological and archaeological indications of the ascendancy of of man from roving bands of scattered families foraging and hunting for food, stuff, whatever possible, to nest an establishment of settled tribes, communities, or tribal communities. The history of ancient man's emergence from the nomad, nomadic state into settled communities, which organizational structure, agriculture, animal husbandry, and the partitioning of permanent hereditary duties of two families and or members of the community, the nascent formations of military, royal, ecclesiastical, and artisan class structures with centralized authority and rules of conduct is key to pinpointing the embryonic cultural and social traditions that over the millennia would eventually evolve into the social force popularly known today as revealed religion, inclusive of its social creeds and spiritual concepts. In fact, all forms of religion practiced in this our era can be traced to this same type source of origin. Our religious philosophies are an, are an evolutionary reflection of man's historical interactions with nature, shielded in myth and fable. These myths and fables of the distant past have evolved into our modern religious concepts. So true. From, I mean, there is no truth to the concept of revealed religion or revelation from a God, supernatural spirit, to a messenger, prophet. All religious beliefs are the result of mankind's social evolution and the key to the interpreting the myths and symbols embodied therein is found when we accurately separate actual history from mythical history and then evaluate the actual history dispassionately and this task is not casually accomplished. I must reemphasize to the key 
to unlocking the veil theological mysteries of the distant past and thereby shed a great and illuminating light upon the religious enigmas of the present, lay in uncovering and analyzing the early social structures of the first settled agricultural communities emerging from prehistory or prehistory, as I would say. This is not to say that mankind did not possess God concepts in his nomadic phases. Most certainly he did, if we accept that the belief in unknown spirit creator is instinctive, natural history and time have no beginning, no origin that we uh, can point to no year no year one or zero or so speak and here I lays the internal unfulfilled quest of the enlightenment of mankind to find this father of our beginnings with the hope that such knowledge will unveil our purpose and destiny well <clears throat> a lot of us dealing with the God, uh, this God, this concept of God, you cannot see God, or you cannot, uh, although God is some kind of spirit uh, that is lurking around around here or uh, in the atmosphere somewhere. But most of us always seek what's outside of ourselves and never within. Most of us don't really realize and haven't got to the point yet that most of the God is actually within us, which is our higher selves. Really is. This is uh I'm gonna get back to that in a little while later. Uh, I'm gonna read this again. This this part here is where it says The evolution of the priesthood. The evolu- the evolution of religious thought from primitive times to the present is explainable, but entails a dispassionate study of history and some common unbiased logic. The first step in this long process of religious evolution started with the emergence of the priesthood. They they evolved from a class of stargazers. These are the star people, or what they say in the mysteries, the stellar people. Okay, the stargazers and the naturalists, whose appointed hereditary duty within ancient society was the recording and forecasting of seasonal transitions. They, the stargazers, settled the planting of seeds and the harvesting of the crops. They studied and measured the cycles of time and the seasons for observing and recording the comings and goings of the celestial entities and noting the terrestrial associations rainfall, flooding, drought, animal migration, etc., that they accompanied the arrival of the departure of these cosmic entities, stars, planets, artisms, etc., to and from specific coordinates. They were the first astronomers and meteorologists and masters of mathematics, which was a required skill within their ranks. And for you that call yourself Freemasons, that is what you call real, true, genuine Freemasonry. I'm gonna read this over again, and this is I'm, 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 and I'm stating this for the Freemasons. 
especially for the Prince Hall Masons. And those of you who are not Prince Hall, some of you brothers better in what we call the four-letter Masonic order. I'm going to state this again. The study and measure the cycle of time and the seasons by observing and recording the comings and goings of the celestial entities and noting the terrestrial associations, rainfall, flooding, drought, animal migration, etc., that accompany the arrival and departure of these cosmic entities, stars, planets, terrorisms, etc., to and from specific coordinates. They were the first astronomers and meteorologists and masters of mathematics, which was a required skill within their ranks. This is the true Freemasonry that most of you Masons should be studying in your lodges. And I know that most of you Masons think that step signs and do guards, knowing your oath and obligations verbatimly, what I mean by verbatimly, by word for word, word for word, without skipping the word. That's what I mean verbatimly, okay? But what I just read to you, that is true Freemasonry. Okay? Go on. I know Freemasonry is not supposed to be on this topic tonight, but I just happened to, you know, ran into it and just want to drop that on some of the brothers that are Masons that listen to this show tonight. Okay. These early societies were stratified. Whatever caste or, or class that an individual was born or determined his destiny throughout life. That is to say, the obligation of the child to a society and the rank of, or position within the society was inherited from the, pat- from the parents. The work fine for the stargazers and that their pivotal profession as keepers of the time blossomed intellectually far, far beyond the scope of the masses. Their abilities became prodigious over time to the amazement of the common classes. They not only pre- predicted the coming of the season, seasons in their order, but they forecast the rains, the floods, solar and lunar eclipses, the phases of the moon and the declination of the sun and the impact of their transits upon the land and in its inhabitants. They charted the heavens, grouped the stars, and named them. These stargazers garnered this phenomenal knowledge and ability at a time when the general public was overwhelmingly illiterate. They became a lordly class, unity themselves. They cherished their supreme position, and it was, of course, preserved within the caste system that prevailed. But the security afforded by class instruction was not enough for these elitists who, through superior knowledge, had to be had to, had to de facto control the ancient emerging world, whichever time would evolve into community forms, into cities, states, and into empires. So they decided to encode their knowledge into cryptic, symbolical form. They invented the language of esoteric mythology, symbolism, and allegory, a symbolic language that could only be correctly interpreted by those who had undergone 
mystical initiations within their secret societies or fraternities. This ancient mystical code that was incorporated to preserve and enshroud the wisdom and knowledge of the emerging sacerdotal classes of antiquity is the archetypical mythical mythology that had blinded common society spiritually down to this day. This mythology at the exoteric level is the exoteric, E-X-O-T-E-R-I-C. That's open, open society, okay? Uh, different from esoteric, E-S-O-T-E-R-I-C. Esoteric means to hidden. Exoteric means to open up, okay? I want y'all to, understand, those who don't understand, I want them to understand this, okay? I'm going to read this again. This mythology at the exoteric level is literally nonsense, but within this esoteric folds resides the supreme wisdom of the ages. And what he is saying that the exoteric commonly practiced today in your churches, uh, synagogues, your mosques, your uh, cathedrals, your um, kingdom halls, okay, you are not. They are not really taught esoterically their doctrines. They're not taught esoterically. They only taught exoterically on the outside. That's why most of the people of these religious doctrines that are members of the church and synagogue and kingdom halls, mosques, and whatnot, uh, they are always searching outside of themselves searching for something exoterically that's already inside them already. Because how many people know not only they have the God within them, but they also have the devil within them too. People know that. They're the devil. Some people will say, what? The hell are you talking about? But yeah, you are that devil too, as well as that, as well as uh, uh, God. God also exists within you too. Believe it or not, that is the higher and the lower self. It says here, in the administration of functions enforced by the rules of the Moorish Science Temple, of the Moorish Holy Temple of Science of the World. It says here, at, talking about the group of Essenes, it says here, the Essene, and Essene is a member of an ancient Yahudi. Yahudi is ancient for Hebrew. Esoteric, esoteric metaphysical order of the rabbinite that existed in ancient Palestine from the 2nd century B.C. to the 3rd century A.D. Yahshua, moderately referred to as Jesus as an Essene. See what I'm saying? This is what they moderately teaching you today. Like I, told, uh, I said earlier, that Yeshua is, or uh, Yahshua is the ancient term for Jesus. 
in Spanish is known as Jesus. We must all, you know, understand this if we wanted to move forward. Understand and that, and that, and that's mostly important of understanding of who we really are. A lot of us want to uh, say that a lot of us want to uh, proclaim our nationality and birthright. You know, this is important for you to know before you get into anything else after you declare your nationality. Because nationality is the order of the day. Matter of fact, it's the number one order of the day. This is a... You know, this is what a lot of it's important to us to be as national moors and, you know, an understanding your nationality, what it all means. You know, I don't mean you have to necessarily be a Muslim or a Muslim. You don't necessarily have to, you know, uh, quit your church or stop being a Christian or a Jew or a Hebrew Israelite. No, we are all Moors, regardless of what religious domination we are part of. And this is the understanding we really need to get to know. This is the understanding that we need to have. In order that um, you still get most of our people believing that Moors are a certain group of so-called black people, you know, that was in Spain and conquered Spain and and all that, you know, they still got that that they have that mindset. You had I have one brother on YouTube talking about dealing with Moorish history and he wouldn't be more more qualified to talk about Moorish history and about the Moorish divine national or national movement than someone's dog. I'm not trying to put anybody down. But he was saying that Moors is more means black. You know, Moors, those of you know that what I'm talking about, Moors does not mean black. It means the land. It means land. They are both synonymous terms. I have uh, stated this on many times on other blog talk shows. This is supposed to be a scholar that said this. A scholar. I'm not going to name his name. You know, believe his name. Uh, anonymous, you know. You know, uh, 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 saying that, you know, there's no such people as Moors. You know, this is what he said. There's no such people as Moors. And when I first heard that, I'm like, I'll be damned, you know. I said, this man really don't know what the hell he's talking about. If you look in the Black Law Dictionary in the fourth edition, you will find the word more means land, and land means more. They both are synonymous terms. That means we are people of the land. We are land-connected people. 
the land is connected to us everywhere we go on the planet Earth. Because why? Because we are a global people. So this is what this is what's been going on, you know. Uh, you have people thinking that. I mean, but a lot of people don't really think that they are Moors. Don't want to call themselves Moors. Why? I don't know. But they want to call themselves Black people of color. You know, African American. All those are not identities. Now, some of you that listen to the to the show tonight know this already. I don't have to tell you. You already know. But you still have those, you still have most of us that don't know. And the most of us I'm talking about, I hope they're on this show tonight. They're listening to what I'm saying and what I'm telling them. Because the more you learn about this, the more you study this, the more you get into this, the more you will be better off. cannot keep on disrespecting and dishonoring your ancient foremothers and forefathers and expected to be respected across the uh, other parts of the human family all over the world. It won't happen. Why? Because they honor their ancient foremothers and forefathers. And when, it's, when, when they see that we don't, what they look at, they, they're saying to themselves, well, damn, they don't, they don't even... Uh, Honor their own ancient foremothers and forefathers. So you know what they think about ours? Hell no, I don't want them in our society. I don't want them around us, corrupting us, corrupting us. You know? And this is what folks got to really realize. The church, you know, you got the church. You know, the church is um, uh, which means goes back to the word Circe, Greek word the Circe, and go to the uh, go to the Scottish word Kirk. All means circle. And this is what the church is teaching you now: the exoteric teachings, not the esoteric teachings. Reason why a lot of us go outside of ourselves because we're not being taught to go within. You're taught to be followers and not students. All they're looking for is followers and people to mind control, to brainwash, to lead them down the wrong path. Destruction. A lot of them are paid agents. You have some that are uh, infiltrators in our ranks among the Divorce Divine National Movement, among the Nation of Islam. They're paid agents, hired agents. As Brother Cujo Adwell will say, dirty moors.
dumb down. But as our people keep waking up and waking up and waking up, which they are, they're waking up more, they're waking up more, they're waking up more. And then when all, I say at least about 70 or 75% of us wake up, really woke up, and talking about getting nationalized and talking about getting our free national names and instead of our, keeping our straw man names or government names and start really nationalizing and getting our birthright intact and all this together, then what will these agents do? Then their masters won't have no more use for them no more. They have to find something else to do. They're not going to be getting paid no more to sell out their own brothers and sisters. Some of them will sell you out for a dollar. Okay. Let's see here. Look at this. Look, let me read this part where it says theology of time. Hence, this is the true and accurate account of the evolution of religion. It started as astronomy that evolved into cryptic myth for reasons that I have explained above and have explained to you also. And out of this mix has emerged our present-day religious creeds. The fables that we call religious history are completely bogus in terms of actual history. And they are. I'm going to stop right here because how many, I mean, the, the vast majority of us really think that these things, these things really happen. They really believe that Jesus really walked on water. But like I, like I said earlier, it's based on the solar mythical figure. You ever notice you see the halo around their heads, around their heads, like, you know, different disciples and and uh, figures of Christ figures? That's the sun. They're telling you right there they're solar mythical figures. Jesus walked on water. It's talking about the sun shining on the water. And then when the, when the sun sets, you can see the sun shining on the water far as the eye could see. Another metaphysical meaning it has, it deals water means emotions. In order for Jesus to teach the world the gospel, he had to be above his emotions. He had to walk above water. That's an allegorical statement, not a literal statement. Not that he walked on the water literally. That's the story goes, that is. The water represents emotions. Therefore, he has to be above his emotions to bring the gospel to the world. They said that Samson, okay, he fought off the Philistines. He killed a thousand of Philistines. 
with the with the with with a, uh, with an, uh, a skeletal jaw of an ox. But no, it meant was well, the allegorical meaning meant meaning was well, he he talked down his lower nature a thousand times. Each time his nature tried to take over his society itself, he had to talk it down a thousand times, meaning his jaws had to be as strong as an ox to talk down his lower nature a thousand times. Jaws had to be very strong for that. That's an allegory. Okay, let me move along here. The evolution of our modern religious concepts began with astronomy and evolved through mythology and astrology into modern religion. Jesus Christ, Moses, Abraham, and all of the other so-called prophets of the Quran, Bible, and Torah are cosmic myths. You hear this, Christians? You hear this, Jews? You hear this, Muslims or Muslims? You ready for this? I'm going to repeat it again. Jesus Christ, Moses, Abraham, or or you may say, or you say it in Islamic or Judaic way, say it that way, the Ibrahim, or or in Islamic, Musa. Moses, okay? Or you say it in, in, in the Islamic way, Isa, Jesus. Don't matter what. I'm going to read it again. Jesus Christ, Moses, Abraham, and all of the so-called prophets of the Quran, Bible, and Torah are cosmic myths. They never existed in actual history. Now I wonder how many people can deal with that. You have a lot of our people, and a lot of our people that are cautious. They're dealing with uh, these past two major holidays that passed, that just passed, Thanksgiving and Christmas. A lot of them believe that they belong to the Europeans. Well, I'm here to tell you they don't. Those are not European holidays. The Thanksgiving holiday. Let me read something here about the Pope's declaration of the Thanksgiving holiday. I'll find it here. Just bear with me here. Dealing with the Thanksgiving holiday here. Get here and see, it's in here somewhere.
Okay. Here it is. It says there, Thanksgiving celebrations celebrates the fall and the subjugation of Moors. On November 25, 1491, after a long, bloody fight against the Moors, Asiatic Muslims who occupied Spain over 700 years, King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella of Spain fell upon their knees and gave thanks to Santiago for their victory over the Moors. On this same day, the Pope of Rome proclaimed that day to be forever a day of thanksgiving for all European Christians. Hmm. Why? The question is, because the so-called blacks of Granada called Moors, who were originally from Africa, Spain, and Arabia, surrendered the city of Granada, the last stronghold of the Moors in Spain, and the walls of the Moorish Empire came tumbling down. These Sadian Moors were driven into Morocco and further down into West Africa and were later betrayed, captured, and sold into America as slaves, hunting down the stern, deep olive Karajite Moor from Baghdad, Turkey, and slaying or enslaving him as an act of highly regarded by the Christian European forces who despised these Moors, mockingly called Turkeys, Ibrahim Kilalula, Thanksgiving for whom? Well, that's one part of it. But I'm here to let you know how many of you know that Thanksgiving is not a European holiday. I think I said this before, I think maybe two weeks ago, in a blog talk show. But I'll repeat it again for those who didn't hear it. How many of us know that Thanksgiving is not a European holiday? How many know that John Henson, the first president of the United States of America, a Moor, or how many of us know that... The first president of the United States was a Moor. How many of us know that Barack Obama is the ninth Moor president, not the first? How many of us know that? Like Taj Tariq Bey said, and I quote, you got those that can't read and those that can won't. Even if a lot of us People like myself, sisters and brothers, try to uh, enlighten our other sisters and brothers on these matters and tell them where to go. Get on the Internet. Get certain books. Most of them will not research, will not do the research. They stuck on the latest cars, the latest clothing. You know, how much money they can make. Or brothers, how many women they can lay up with. You know, and so on and so on and so on. All of these uh, unimportant things, you know, when it comes to our liberation or when it comes to liberation of our own individual selves and our people.
A lot of them will not read or study. That's why we have the blog talk show. That's why that's why we have the first world order blog talk show, and other numerous of others blog talk shows. That's why we set out DVD, make DVDs, write books as much as we can to enlighten our people as much as we can. And as I say it, and I say it again, the hour is, still, is very late. The hour is really late. But as again, mm, not quite too late yet, but it's very late. Need to wake up, people. Damn. Okay. I'm reading this part here. They are the personifications of cosmic. I'm reading this over again. Jesus Christ, Moses, Abraham, and all the other so-called prophets of the Quran, Bible, and Torah are cosmic myths. They never existed in actual history. They are the personifications of cosmic entities, and their tales and truth are no less than a registry of astronomical phenomena written in mythological format. You know, that's hard for a lot of, especially among, oh, I don't I would say especially among the Christians, even among the Muslims, and, and, and the temples, and the mosques, you know, and the people in the synagogues, and the kingdom halls. That's a hard pill to swallow. Why? Because the matrix got them. There is the true matrix. Mind control. Because the religions, institutions are the major and the most and the biggest mind control centers and institutions in the world. They're unmatched by any other institution in the world today. You don't have to believe me. Just look around and check it out for yourself. The ones that are conscious, that is. It says here, the best, time, the best term that I have ever heard at a description of religion in theology of time, that's actually what religion, religion is and has always been. Religion's myth was born out of a system of timekeeping and originators were primitive stargazers whose history goes back more thousands of years than I would like to account. In fact, I could say millions of years. Millions of years. Hmm. But I won't stress the point since that time frame covers cycles that we haven't covered to this point in my previous books on this subject. The largest cycle that we have discussed and the procession cycle has spanned 25,920 years. 25,920 years. Now, how many of us know what that is? Let's start right there. How many of us know that, what, that, what, what he's talking about? 
25,920 years. He's talking about an age. An age. You know, some people say uh, that when they meet you on, on, on the street somewhere, they haven't saw you in a very long time. Oh, man, I ain't seen you in ages, man. I ain't seen you in ages. An age that's 25,920 years. The Pisces age has just left us. Now we're dealing with the Aquarian age, the age of water, the age of truth. Be revealed, the Aquarian age. Now we've got to do another 25,920 years of this age. You have 12 ages in all. The 12 tribes of Israel. That's why you have 12 people in a... what you would call a jury in a courtroom. It's based on astronomy. Your courtrooms is based on astronomy. It's based off of Masonic astronomy, off of Moorish, which is Moorish science, big time. You have the defendant and you have the prosecutor. As the judge in the center, shaped like a pyramid, if you look a look from above, if you look from above, it's shaped almost like a pyramid. The judge being the pineal gland. The prosecutor and the defense are two eyes. The judge wrapped this gavel three times, bop, bop, bop. Everybody rise. Same thing in the Masonic Lodge. Wrap three times, everybody, every base in the Masonic Lodge will, will rise. The judge wrapped his gavel once. Everybody sit down. The, 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 the worshipful master wrapped his gavel once. Everybody sit down in the lodge. The same thing. Jesus and his 12 disciples. The 12 tribes of Israel. And it goes on and on and on. 12 eggs makes a dozen. The dirty dozen. It goes on and on. Okay, let me move along here. Let's see. Uh, it says, within the book, we shall also bring clarity to the importance of Book of Genesis. Witness the quote from the book, three of uh, uh, book three, uh, chapter three, chapter one, Genesis. One contains a lot more symbolism. The first chapter and more of Genesis is actually bursting at the seams and stellar symbolism, but that is not our focus at this time. Furthermore, the interpretations are much more involved and tedious, so we will come move on. In Chapter 2, I have included 
much of the stellar and circumpolar symbolism that has emitted from the previous volumes. The inclusions of this stellar symbolism and its interpretation will give the reader a much broader comprehension of biblical allegory. I've found astronomical correlations going back over 8,000 years in the book of Genesis. The interpretations are very vivid and jolting. And they are. See, it says here. It says here, this is because the ever widening gap between faith and reason has explained or has expanded to the point that no rational leap of faith can span the breach. The fairy tales of old that mesmerize the benighted, the benighted masses of ages gone by do not work in this advanced techno- technological age. And it don't. <clears throat> Too many of yesteryear's mysteries are common. Knowledge today, we, knew, we know that heaven is not situated above the clouds. And some of us have experienced more hell on earth than we could ever rationally conceive as being within it. People say that the that they believe in God, our of habit, out of out of habit, and tradition, not in the basis of genuine conviction, because they are skeptical of our religious tenets and have grave doubts about theology in general. Is my take the hocus pocus religious religions? that worked 3,000, 2,000, 1,400 years ago and before cannot cut it today and need to be updated intellectually, expanded, and enhanced to match the intellect of the present technologically enlightened era. Clergy, priestly, is caught in a quagmire as well as a catch-22 of their own making because if they attempt to update or modify the tenets of faith, each action would have the effect of billing the alleged divinity of their outdated religious concepts, which certainly do not need to be adjusted or revised by ordinary rational humans. Actually, what they need is another so-called prophet to come on the scene with a new 21st century message from the deity, but I doubt that, but I doubt they could pull that one off nowadays. But who knows? I have seen people on TV who believe they are in communication with the dead and such related nonsense. So who knows what's next? Well, I'm gonna stop right here. I'm gonna stop right here. Well, not communicating with the dead. Well. A lot of us, uh, some of us have never heard of Nocromancy. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right or not. But it's communicating with your ancestors that has passed on, you know, 
many, 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 many years ago. Or necromancy. The way to pronounce correct way to pronounce that word. Okay, bear with me. Necromancy, you know, uh well, there could be a such thing as communicating with the ancestors. But there's many ways of communicating with the ancestors. Then besides just talking to them or them talking to you. There are many ways. You can do it through meditation. Through your breathing exercises. Your kundalini breathing exercises. A lot of us communicate with our kundalini chakras. And through them we can communicate with our ancestors. Believe it or not. So I'm not going to go along with that part, uh, the nonsense of communicating with the dead. I go along only to a certain degree. I go along with it on. Just a certain, to, to a degree. Okay, I'm going to move along here. So who knows what's next, but I, but I digress. The subject of this chapter concerns the various cycles of time tracked by the ancients that are recorded. Although shielded within the symbolism of religious scripture, the untangling of the web of falsehood and misunderstanding that prevails in modern scripture is not only is not an easy task, especially when we are contending with irrational and superstitious human minds that find it extremely difficult to accept this one basic and fundamental truth that religion was not not bestowed upon us by some omnipotent deity by but rather is the product of our own minds. Oh. Read this again. It said, The untangling of web of falsehood and misunderstanding that prevails in modern scripture is not an easy task, especially where we are contending with irrational and superstitions or superstitious human minds that find it extremely difficult to accept this one basic and fundamental truth that religion was not bestowed upon us by some omnipotent deity, but rather is the product of our own minds. Hmm. Religion, like all other social systems, designed or false or fashioned by man, is simply another unit within our social... Let me see here. Within our social structure, representing our best attempts, albeit so inadequate, to communicate or relate to our creator. So the age-old question again reads, its head, rears its head, it did so create man, or did man create God? Hmm. As this juncture, we need to review the major categories of cycles. They were tracked and charted by the ancients and are symbolically rendered in biblical scripture. For first, we shall define these cycles generally and there and there and give detailed explanations with some examples of their applications. Some of these applications are intricate, but I suggest that we will all hang to there there and re, and reread certain portions of it, it portions of it necessary in understanding or that perhaps I should say a Familiarity with some cycles that I shall introduce is essential to a proper comprehension of the intriguing allegorical explanation that shall follow. Within, 
in showing chapters of this book. Hmm. There are, yeah, there are um, a lot of things dealing with certain spirituality. And how many of us know that you don't have to belong to a synagogue, mosque, or church, or cathedral, or kingdom hall to be spiritual? Because a lot of us still believe, and probably probably most of us, still believe that spirituality and religion are one and the same, and they are not. reading a book from here called The Hidden Wisdom in the Holy Bible by Godfrey Hudson, Volume 1. Godfrey Hudson, if you don't have this book, it's called The Hidden Wisdom in the Holy Bible by Godfrey Hudson, spelled G-E-O-F-R-E-Y. G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y. Hudson, H-O-D-S-O-N, H-O-D-S-O-N. It's called The Hidden Wisdom in the Holy Bible, Volume 1 and Volume 2. This is a necessary uh, uh, volumes for anybody that wants to be studious and allegory and metaphysics. These are the two books I recommend you to get. And also, the book I just got to read you, uh, let me see here. The four-volume book is called The Astrological Foundation of the Christ Myth. Book one, book two, book three, and book four. By Brother Malik H. Jabbar. Malik, M-A-L-I-K. Spell it again. Malik, M-A-L-I-K. H. Jabbar. Jabbar. J A B B A R. Spell it again. J A B B A R. Malik H. Jabbar. These are uh, a four volume for your for your a must for your library. And especially Moors. He wants to really get into the esoteric science of things, which is the true more science. Okay, says so here the introduction of this book. A large number of writers in both ancient and modern times have affirmed that spiritual wisdom and practice philosophy of life have always been available, and that, however, deeply hidden they are to be found in the scriptures of the great world faith. Readers, they state, but have to remove the concealing veils of allegory, parable, and symbol to discovery a knowledge which can bestow serenity of mind and heart and lead to spiritual illumination. Mere folk tales and primitive superstitions 
apart. The scriptures and mythologies of ancient peoples may, it is claimed, be similarly approached. At least two views exist concerning their origin. According to one of these, world myths gradually develop as explanation of the phenomena of nature. Early or no scientific knowledge personified the forces of nature and dramatized their infractions or interactions. Such tales may be thought as a folk myth in contradictions to those based upon historical or presumably historical foundation. The second view of that many of these ancient stories were given deep cosmological religions, psychological and moral significance by poets, seers, prophets, who later arose within the nations. For example, relied upon Greek myth and legend for many of his plots. Also did Homer, Euripides, and more, especially Pindar and Hesiod, who incorporated the Homeric gods into the Greek pantheon. These are certain figures or philosophical figures that he's talking about. In this way, many archaic legends, which both preserved and vitalized, having common imbued with religious or, philo- or philosophic meanings, initiates of the various esoteric schools and the mystery religions of the older civilizations are also said to have deliberately refashioned the stories into vehicles for the transmission so to later peoples of their knowledge of cosmogony, cyclic involution and evolution, and the true nature and destiny of humanity. Modern scientists have also found in ancient myths appropriate symbols for the subtle mental processes they study and attempt to elucidate. That is so true. It says here. It says here, for example, term Achilles feet or Achilles heel is sometimes employed to indicate vulnerability. See, Jung in his turn found in the ancient story symbolic archetypes of human responses. Let me skip all this. It says, and here it says, the value of the approach to world scripture becomes evident with the keys of interpretations are applied to the Bible. This has, however, been rendered difficult by at least three prevalent practices. The first of these is to mistake the veils for the truths which they both conceal and reveal. The second is to require the acceptance as fact of much that is purely allegorical and indeed in some case incredible. The third is the the third the third is the insistence by more Christian denominations upon the unquestioned belief in dogmas. 
based upon a literal reading of certain passages of the Bible as essential, as essential to salvation here and hereafter. Unfortunately, this is, the, this, this is carried to still greater lengths by pronouncements that failure to affirm implicitly stated dogmas may lead to excommunication and even to eternal damnation. These trends, observable in Orthodox Christianity, may be regarded so particularly harmful at the present period in world history for a result of them and attention of Christians is is diverted from eternal verities. These especially include the existence of the divine presence within Christ in you in the hope of glory. Says here in Collegians 1, chapter 1, verses 27, and the first, that the divinity in all human beings is one and the same. When the, spirit, when the spiritual unity between all members of the human race is fully recognized, aggressive competition, organized crime, and wars of conquest become impossibilities. And that's very true. How I was going to say the God is within you. He just said the Christ within. A lot of people think you're talking about, oh, you're trying to be like the church. Oh, you're trying to be like the God. No, 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 no. You have to, uh, all of us can attain true Christhood. All of us can. That is how we can grow above our emotions. The more you learn, the more you'll grow up above your emotions. I had a, a, a conversation with one woman, and she said she likes to read other books because she don't want to read the Bible because it has to, it has uh, it's hard for her to understand. And I try to get her to realize that it, the more you study esoteric teachings and the occult sciences of the Bible, it will be nothing for you to read or understand. It will all be common to you. You will know you will know that Bible esoterically uh, 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 like uh, no you know like no knowing the back of your hand. Even certain Muslims, when you speak to them, they say, have you ever attained Christhood? They think you're talking about something that you learn in the church. And this is, this is, this is, uh, I'm directing some of this at Muslims too, at Muslims too. Not just Christians. Because some Christians can be really the best friend we ever had. They may be the ones that save our lives one day. You never know. But there's still more. Don't forget that. They're going to be Christians in the biggest church, and they had 
church's biggest, almost down there, bigger than some uh, baseball stadiums, or the same size, or close to it. The Matrix is something else, ain't it? That's the Matrix. And they're all under the Matrix. The monsters, just as well under the Matrix. That's the church, uh, 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 most of your churches are. They think they're not, but they are. The synagogues, the kingdom halls, they are all under the matrix. But they still are brothers and sisters. They are still Moors. Whether they want to be or not, whether they call themselves or not. I don't have to force that term on them. They are who, who they are. Because I said it. Because it is what it is. Then may the veils of allegory and symbol be drawn aside and the hidden wisdom revealed. This work, among many others, upon the subject in ancient and modern literature, offers both general and detailed answers to the most vital questions. Briefly stated, those who seek to discover the wisdom underlying inspired allegories should proceed as follows. Has there a determined to discover essential truths, B, mentally utter a cry for interior light, is in Luke, chapter 11, verses 9 and 10, with the single motive of becoming an ever more efficient servant of humanity. C, clear the mind of the tendency to regard the literal reading as the only true and ecclesiastical permissible one. D. Tation in order to develop the, the intuitive perception necessary for the discovery of the successive layers of revelation concealed beneath scriptural allegories, ancient myths, or some traditional fairy tales. E. Study the writings of notable exponents of the sacred language. F. Learn the major keys and the method of interpretation and practice until proficient. The science of their application to the elucidations of world scriptures and mythologies, as stated in the preface, care, care must always be taken, neither to overstress a possible symbolic significance nor to read into a narrative more than inherent within it or was presumably present in the minds of the authors, merely in order to support 
preconceived ideas. Okay? Okay, I'm going to go on a break here about two minutes. I'll say about three or four minutes. All right? I'll be right back. Thank you. 
All right, all right, I'm back. Okay. Start where it says the scourge of monotheism. Say it again, the scourge of monotheism. I believe in one deity. I believe in one God concept. Okay. The scourge of monotheism is the arrogant and repressive doctrine of Jews, Christians, and Muslims, which postulates the God of their faith or faith is the only true God and that spiritual salvation can only be obtained from within their ranks or through them as the bona fide agents of the only true God. This elitist tyrannical conception was spawned by Jewish-style monotheism, and it is absolutely deplorable, in my opinion. This attitude of the monotheists, this attitude of the monotheists, is a manifestation of religious bigotry to the highest degree, and this religious bigotry has engendered and continues to sow the seeds of political, social, financial, and racial bigotry within every fabric of monotheistic society. <coughs> and tends to contaminate other social structures that ordinarily would not sh- would not share these biases. Any society founded on monothe- monotheism is by its very nature a meddlesome community intent on interfering in the affairs of others and seeking to subvert or override the social political systems of others pursuant to the ostensibly high minded goals of help and improvement this is the, the clarion call of monotheism that is to bring all others into the one so called true path or faith as you may say 
and that translates into subversive aggression and interference into social structures of non-believers with a godly idiot edict to do so. Says here at Mark sixteen fifteen through Mark to Mark, the book of Mark sixteen to sixteen, he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. The book of Matthew, twenty-eight, verse, chapter twenty-eight, verses nineteen. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Hmm. As I told you earlier, and in, in, in the show that uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, uh, the Holy Ghost has replaced. Uh, the woman, or you could say the mother, or the matriarch. Actually, originally it's supposed to be father, mother, and child, or father, mother, and son. Okay, let me go on. The book of Matthew, chapter 24, verses 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world, for all witnesses unto to all nations and then shall the end come. Okay. Monotheists seemingly have throughout an admiral concepts concerning the equitable application of law, respect for individual freedom and liberty and property, rights, etc. Their more precepts are laudable for the most part, in my opinion, but rarely lived up to. That's that. That's that. That's, that's very true. Okay, it says here. There, seeing of justice, seems this 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 sense of justice is widely proclaimed as as also within their ranks, and the only true proponents of justice, but not universally applied. Actually, it is favored for those of faith. This is reflected perhaps subliminally to or of their religious doctrines that states clearly God's final condemnation of all disbelievers on the great judgment day. This attitude that people of different religious persuasions are actually in rebellion against the true faith or somehow victims of the wiles of Satan and thereby servants out of the devil opens the door to any manner of injustices and oppression toward non-monotheistic. Witness a paraphrase from my book, The Biggest Lie Ever Told. The religious doctrine of the monotheists, the doctrine the doctrine that they <clears throat> are the only, they are the only correct worshipers of the only true God tends to infuse itself into the political and social fabric of their societies. It follows in their thinking, whether openly acknowledged or not, that since their doctrine is the only true faith and that likewise their political and social systems must also be superior to all others. Consequently, they are implicitly justified by their deity in opposing their doctrines, politically, financially, and religious. 
of all the laws, non-believers of the world, the Muslims and Christians tend to impose their doctrines by direct attack and their Jews act by methods of subversion. So this religious attitude of the monotheists indeed makes them the greatest menace to world peace. And I think that history verifies this, of course. The laity within the monotheistic system are, for the most part, sincere and loving believers who firmly believe that they are doing God's will by spreading his doctrine. My focus here is on the underlying effect of the monotheistic doctrine and the attitude it engenders in those all that inherit produce doctrine, which sounds so benevolent at the at the first hearing, but one thoughtfully analyzed is found to bear the seeds of religious and political tyranny. The indications are that the founding fathers realized this and, and therefore sought to limit the powers of the monotheists within our government, but the menace is ever-present. Hmm. I hope a lot of you that uh, uh, like I say a lot of times I don't tend to step on anybody's toes or tend to insult or tend to you know uh, infringe on anybody's beliefs or faith or what have you all I tend to do is to drop the knowledge and science on those what I have learned and try to enlighten others, you know, uh, so that we can make this a better world. One, our new world order coming to existence. Because the new world order actually belongs to us as the Americas, North, South, and Central America, and the adjoining islands. We are the aboriginal, indigenous, autonomous people of the world. For those who still don't understand these three words, I'll break it down. Aboriginal, or aboriginal meaning the very first inhabitants of a land or country. Indigenous meaning native of the land and Natural person of the land. Autonomous meaning those who spring forth from the soil of the earth. Aboriginal plus indigenous plus autonomous equals more. That is a more. It all deals with land. Land connecting people. And more does not mean black. Now, some of these so-called scholars want you to believe because they haven't done enough research or haven't done their research like they thought they have. They haven't done their homework like they thought they have. They get a lot of their information from Greek literature, which Greek don't even have any real literature. All their literature works, literary works, all of their... Spelling, reading, 
all that they get from us. Or some people may say the ancient Egyptians. Because they didn't have a written language. Only the one what we gave them. Or our ancient foremothers and forefathers gave them. How many of you know that the ancient Greeks were Moors before these other Greeks came into existence? How many people know that? The ancient Hungarians, or what they call the Huns, were Moors. But they say Attila the Hun. I don't know if those of you are studious and too much of ancient history. Attila the Hun was a Moor. They know he was a very swarthy man, dark, swarthy man, from what I heard. Swarthy in complexion. You'll hear some European scholars will say that he was a swarthy, so-called white man. I'm saying this kind of dumb shit, this kind of nonsense, you know. You'll hear shit like that. They don't know that Samson, when he, when Samson in the Bible, meaning sun god, they don't know when he pushed down the two pillars, he was pushing down the two equators. He was the sun. He was pushing down the autumn and spring, the two pillars. We don't know that one the one they were chasing the so called Jews from Egypt through the Red Sea. Red represents the uh, Red Sea the sea represents water, represents emotions. The red stirred up the sea. Red represents strife. But the soldiers of Pharaoh's army could not rise above their emotions. So when the Red Sea closed in on them, they were drowned in their emotions. Their emotions overcame them, the allegory of that part in the Bible. These all these are solar, lunar, and stellar mythical figures as explained in these books that I told you to get. Another book you need to get is Moors and Masonry by my dear friend and brother Abdullah El Talib Mosi Bay. Called Moors and Masonry. 
The book is just being published. Check on the internet on morecivilletter.com, www.morecivilletter.com. Get on that website. Get that book. Still get a brother, Asura Aline Lutapak L. Bay's book, The First World Order. Another damn good book. He's a damn good friend of mine and a good damn good brother of mine. Get the book, The First World Order. Him and him and his consort, Ma'at Kadira Ilbe. It's another damn good friend of mine. That's what they would call his wife. But I don't like to use the term wife, because wife means handmaiden. So I don't like using that term. But I I use that term so some of you would understand what I'm talking about. Okay. Let me move along here. I don't know how much time I have left. But I'm going to keep it going till they say I don't. Okay. are defined and ambiguous. The biblical God clearly directs his inheritance inheritance to extract a scorched earth campaign against those that reject the doctrine of monotheism and would rather worship or not worship in accordance with their own individual consciousness. This war God of monotheism even promises and urges his flock to consume and decimate the world's disbelievers and plan precision that is in degree step by malicious step, little by treacherous little, is the biblical instruction. This, I contend, is the terror of monotheism, the scourge of monotheism that is, at its religious core, a political, theocratic system of force and indoctrination. If monotheism is fundamentally a form of imperialism or at the least an agent of true imperialism defined as a system of territory expansion, nation building, or the expansion of national influence, whether through direct control or through coercion, sovereignty, which means legal government, gives the the monotheist control of the body and monotheistic doctrine itself gives them control of the mind and serves as a unifying national spirit. That is the hard truth that we must contend with and place it in proper perspective. And this historical has been 
this is this historically has been a function of monotheistic doctrine, that is, the enhancing of national and religion, uh, rigid, uh, regional cohesion, cohesion through cultural assimilation. True biblical monotheism does not allow for peaceful coexistence with people or societies of different philosophical or religious persuasion. God's command to the monotheist Monotheists, according to the Bible, is to overcome them by stratagems or by direct aggression. This is the message of the biblical verses that I have submitted for your perusal, and this message rings with resounding clarity throughout the so-called holy scriptures of the Jews, Christians, and Muslims. The Jews are, are certainly in compliance with the biblically godly directive. There, they, Hebrews, must certainly have a stratagem by which they have, have and are consuming the world of the Gentiles, little by little, as their God directs. The Christians and Muslims are also in compliance, as both have as cardinal tenets within their doctrines the advocacy of proselytization. In conclusion, my overriding motivation in writing this series of books on the origin of evolution of religion has been to aid those that have perhaps languished in the same or similar quagmire of doubt and confusion that entrapped me several years ago. About 25 years ago, I began to have serious doubts about the veracity of religion. I noticed that traditionally religion could not withstand probing intellectual analysis and I wonder why it is the true why it is true and ordained by God. This is his the man who wrote this book, this is his writing. This is his how he feel. Okay. I'm gonna let you know that. Not exactly my views. I'm gonna get an understanding of that. A lot of his views and mine are the same, but some of them are not. So I'm gonna keep on. Okay. Even in the intellectual age of science and technological progress most human beings are just as superstitious and irrational as our progenitors may have been at the dawn of civilization. It's amazing, even though even even those that appear to be most intellectual are incapable of coming to grips with the truth of religion on a rational basis. They seem to fear the truth and look upon look upon we who seek to analyze and evaluate religion scientifically as enemies of the faith. Some say that we researchers and analysis are inspired by the devil and are possessed by evil demonic spirits. And this, in the 21st century, it seems unreasonable to me that religion should be exempt from critical analysis, but this seems to be the opinion of the vast majority. I have been told that I must allow my faith to overcome reason, that this is the test of true, behind, true belief and submission to God's will. Such a course of incomprehensible to me, but in fact, the majority of choosers to live by faith rather than reason, and perhaps that is their fate, as well as their choice. I don't believe that the majority of humanity... Let me go on will ever understand, accept, or 
come to grips with divine truth. My definition of divine truth is that which does not attempt to defy nature. Nature needs to weed out and destroy all that defies in or it con- contracts its pr- purposes. Only truth com- compliance with natural law can successfully advance from stage to stage under the test of nature. That is my guide. I can see no other way. After all, this time of research and investigation and evaluation of religious symbolism and allegory, I stand convinced of one reality, that we are indeed the children of providence, not chance. We humans are the product of a creative intelligence, thus we shall never fathom. But our natural and eternal quest must forever be for, for knowledge of the creative intelligence that spawned us. The ancients have preserved such truth for us under the veil of myth and fable. It is very interesting that the search for truth seems backward and not forward. I have convert I have con- I have, I have covered much in this series of four books and this is the fine of the series. Final of the series. Much has been written and much remain unwritten. Hmm. Okay. Like I say, this book, I say this about Malik H. Jabbar, and it's called The Astrological Foundation of the Christ Myth. Book four. And it has uh, a small prince, War in Heaven. War in Heaven. Not between the higher and the lower self of heaven is the higher self. Just the war in heaven. Because we all struggle with ourselves. A deep struggle within, within each and one of us. We're struggling with ourselves. And then when we do overcome the war in heaven, then we overcome our lower selves and our lower nature, which is the devil. What they tell you in the one-on-ones. Those who study in the Moorish Science Temples and the Moorish Divine National Movement know what I'm talking about. God is the higher self. The devil is the lower self. But God never goes away. Belief comes and goes, but truth always will be here. Just like when you overcome ourselves, overcome the war between the heaven and heaven, and overcome our lower nature, and overcome when the higher self or the heaven self of ourselves, overcome the devil within ourselves, and all over the world, when we do this all over the world, that is the true meaning of Armageddon. The true meaning of Armageddon. When we all overcome our lower nature and our lower selves and destroy the devil within us. And whatever was left of the devil or the evil nature, it would be the servants of our higher self. 
discuss what they mean by Armageddon. The fire and water are both opposites, but they are both called baptisms. When you go to church, join the church, you baptize into the water, meaning that when your mother's water broke, you was born. Now you must be born again when you be baptized into the water, when you wade into the water. That's what they mean. You must be born again. But they're not going to teach you that in your church today. They're not going to tell you that. And during wartime and the battles, they call it a baptism of fire. The two elements of the four elements of the universe, earth, air, fire, water. go on here. I still don't know how long because I got on here kind of late. Like I said, I got mixed up. That messed up in some of the stations. I was on the wrong station and I finally got on the right station. So I'm going to go wrong. Long as they let me stay on here. I'm going to stay on here. Okay. It says here in the micro, the microcosmic, which is the a uh, small world or human interpretation of the myth. The human ego is Sarah's, the mother. Before the birth, an ego sends a ray or part of its life, paresophone, down from the casual world through the realms of mind and emotion to upper air into the physical world. Hades to be born on earth. Pluto personifies the elemental desires. Every time a soul is born to live in the darkened, material, physical body, and world. Persephone, who impersonates the soul or ego, the return to the underworld. These are mythical figures I'm talking about, not real people, okay? At death, we shall be free, returning eventually to the source from which we came, which is the ego in the caught casual body, Sears. Finally, an esoteric interpretation is possible. The human spiritual soul, the essential self behind the bodily veil, can prematurely win freedom from almost total imprisonment in the physical body if, symbolically, it can find Hermes. Hermes is Hermes Trimescitus, or it could be Jehudi, the rescuer of, or redeemer, which is you and his staff. The nature of this staff gives the key to the process of the liberation of consciousness from the physical body and its deadening. That's you rescuing, rescuing yourself. Blinding influence for one interpretation to human, the caduceus, represents very accurately the oppos- oppositely polarized, serpentine, triple 
creative power of human beings. When no more use for procreation, this power is transmitted or turned upward until the two serpents' heads, the two serpents' killings of creative fire, enter the head and illumine and fire the brain. This to free the soul from the limitations of the body. Hermes, with his staff, has been allegorically liberated, Parasophone, from the underworld. That means you are liberated yourself from the from your lower self, or from the devil, which is your lower self, at the command of Zeus, the monad, and the submission of Pluto, the now disciplined body, elemental ele, elemental consciousness, Parasophone, the personal ego, is restored by Hermes, the serpent fire, to her mother, the spiritual self, or Olympus, casual consciousness. It's dealing with dealing also with the Kundalini chakras, or the seven chakras of the body. Okay. This is how many of you saw uh, the Bruce Lee story. This was a movie back in I believe the eighties, I believe, or the early nineties. I can't remember. And he, uh, as a child, he was always afraid of this dragon. Always afraid of the dragon. But a lot of people thought that he grew grew up as a man, still having these dreams of this dragon trying to kill him or after him. But they they totally misunderstood what the movie was getting at. What the movie was talking about, it was the dragon was him. The dragon was Bruce Lee himself. It was his lower nature, which was the part of his lower nature, which was fear. He had to overcome that fear to continue to conquer other obstacles in his life so he can go on and to be successful on whatever what he was trying to do. That was the meaning of that. If you have any of you have saw this movie. That was the, what the dragon was, and also and also remember it also represents what the uh, 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 the uh, uh, the Kundalini spinal chakra. That dragon within. Okay. See, a lot of people a lot take uh, the Bible for literally, as it literally says. As, you know, they take it literally. And you ask them, you know, do you believe in the Bible literally? They'll tell you yes. And you try to tell them anything different. You know, they, you can't tell them anything different because the matrix got them. I'm going to read this here. It says here, let me see. It's dealing with Palm Sunday. The entry of Jesus into Jerusalem and the acclamation by the crowd commemorated by the Church of Palm Sunday, which immediately preceded the, the withering of the fig tree, indicated that a certain spiritual advance has been made, a triumph of spirit over the flesh, 
of the body, Christ's power within over mind emotions, vitality and physical body, the lower quaternary, the docile ass, parentheses, and the multitude of habits, desires, and appetites, this is in parentheses, the responsive crowd, inherited in the substance of the physical and superphysical bodies. Jerusalem, Jerusalem is a symbol of the state of awareness of the divine self or ego or ego in the casual body. The un the universalized consciousness of an immortal spiritual being. Entry into Jerusalem betrays realization during waking consciousness. Order self as divine, eternal, indestructible, and universal. The heavenly city, the city of the living God. In Hebrews, it's in the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 12, verse 22, is a symbol of the Engoides, Greek, Karana, Sharira, Sanskrit, the robe of glory, and the Gnostics, Gnostics means the knowing ones. That's what Gnostics mean. In which the self-radiant divine fragment, the monad ego, abides and self-manifested in the level of the abstract intelligence. All these are names for the same principle, the vehicle of the reincarnation ego at the farmer's levels of the mental plane. When you read these books, I suggest you really, you really, really, really have to know your allegory and your metaphysics. You really have to know it to, to really understand these two books. The volume one, The Hidden Wisdom and the Holy Bible, one and two, by Geoffrey Hudson. You really have to learn how to understand, know your, uh, your symbolism, and you really got to know you know, you know these scientifically, Symbol, uh, allegorical and symbolism. You got to know your cosmology. You got to know your astronomy. You got to know your astrology. You have to know these things to really understand that book. Same thing with the book, uh, the Aquarian uh, uh, Gospel of Jesus the Christ. You got to know your astrology, cosmology, uh, cosmologics. Metaphysics, you got to know uh, know these subjects before, uh, before before you get into these books so you can truly, really understand what they're saying. The Korean Gospel of Jesus Christ, the author's name is Eliphaz Levi. Eliphaz, uh, E-L-I-P-H-I-S, I believe. Levi is L-E-V-I. But that's not his real name. Some people say that that's where uh, the prophet Noble Ali got a lot of his uh, not of that knowledge from and put it into the Circle Seven. You know, but I say this: this is well, not really, because a lot of that science is ours anyway. A lot of that science has been stolen and taken away from our ancient foremothers and forefathers. Uh, Noble Drew Ali, I believe, was taken back what belonged to us anyway. All that belongs to us. The Rosicrucian teachings, the Rosicrucian doctrines, or the Rosicrucian order, Freemasonry, the Torah. No, no, not the Torah, I'm sorry. Uh, the, uh, 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 um, 
uh, I can't think of that book, but uh, it's called, uh, anyway, uh, the Torah. I'm trying to think of this book. I wish I had, I had a, a keypad key where I could put someone in where they can help me out here. It was a very esoteric book. That's our science. Yeah, so I can't think of that book right now, but uh, I know somebody that can help me out. I know somebody know out there, the artists that know. They know. One of you know. Because I know there's somebody out there audience that's well more uh, advanced in science than I am. I know they are. I know some of you out there can teach me something. You know? Yes, I believe you can. Okay, I'm about ready to shut it down. Um... So, like I say, all I uh, get on this, this show is to educate. Don't wish to insult anyone, and I don't, I don't want anyone getting off of the, uh, the air thinking of one thing about me. And you know, and it's not it's not me at all. You know, and it's not my intent at all to insult people or to step on anybody's toes. It's my intent to educate and to teach what little bit I know. And I never tell anybody I'm an all-knower. I never tell anybody that. I don't even tell tell anybody I'm a scholar. I don't tell anyone that. I'm too smart for that. Much too smart for that. So, so. But I'm going to get ready to sign off. And, uh... For more books, uh... You want to get Gerald Massey's A Book of the Beginnings by Gerald Massey. Uh, you want to get a book by Egypt, The Light of the World, also by Gerald Massey, Book 1 and Book 2. And Book of the Beginnings, Book 1 and Book 2. And you also want to get uh, a book by the Black Indians. Uh, I forgot the author's name. You might want to get into that one also. You want to get in these two books, The Land of Moo and The Children of Moo, by James Churchward. You know, you want to get into uh, 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 a book called Blacks and Antiquity, by Edwin Snowden. By Edwin Snowden. Okay. But I'm getting ready to sound off a family, uh, and I hope I've done some good tonight. And I wish you all, I bid you all a good night, and peace to all families of the human family tonight. But Wasamadakunda, that is the Algonquin language of the Washita tribal nation that I am a part of, meaning goodbye family. Peace family. It means peace to families.
a heart and wash it east. May my spirit and your spirit spring forth with the jaguar. Peace.